Boston has some pretty good beers. <laughs> oh, it's on my, my beer bucket list. It's October 30th, 2018, and welcome to episode five of C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its track. I'm Dave Darrington, Director of User Enablement at Azuqua. And I'm Adam Evermescu. I lead customer education at Checker. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. This is an alternate format we have. Adam, you went to SEDMA. Um, the fall conference in Boston, right? I did. Cool. Um, and we're talking about every time we go to events like this, we like to try to capture some of what we may have learned at that, share our thoughts. So today, Adam, you're going to go over some of the presentations that you found noteworthy and interesting. Uh, and then we're going to talk about those, reflect on those. And then, um, Adam, I think probably a great way to, to start this off is to talk a little bit about what SEDMA is, and then we'll get into a discussion. Yeah, sounds good. We can have a little uh, mini episode. So SEDMA is the Customer Education Management Association. And they, at least up to this point, have been having two conferences, a West Coast and an East Coast conference. I, I think, and this is one of the big uh, pieces of information that came out of the conference, I think they're going to switch to having an annual conference. Oh, nice. This, yeah, this, this was the fall conference in Boston. And this is an organization where customer education leaders come to talk about how we do what we do. So a lot of uh, discussion of different issues from curriculum design to pricing to everything else. Well, we've seen a lot of customer success as well recently. Absolutely. And that was actually one of the big topics. So uh, maybe, we can, maybe we can dive in and talk a little bit about some of the sessions. Well, let's do it. So you sent some notes. Um, it, it seems like there was two big themes this year. So can you tell us a little about those themes and then like walk through some bullets and then let's reflect upon it? Yeah, for sure. So the two big themes that I took away were number one, really thinking about the customer education P&L, the, mm. the profit and loss, you know, running, running your department based on revenue, bookings, margin, kind of the the way that people have been doing it for on-premise software for a long yeah. time yeah, totally. versus customer education in the SaaS world. And how does that change the way that we do business, period? Uh, and then another big theme was the role of certification and badging. How do mm. we credential our customers and how do we develop programs that certify the different skills that they have? Well, this will be interesting. Uh, so where do you want to start? Let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the P&L versus SaaS. Cool. I'm excited about this one because I know personally I've been both in services and in customer success. And then and recently now I'm in marketing. So love to hear what they're talking about at Sedma. Yeah. So at Sedma for the past few years, I've noticed a trend where a lot of the people who attend Sedma are from pretty large education services organizations that at least up until this point, have come out of the world of professional services. Hmm. And that's because of the nature of how these software companies uh, are implemented. So you have a big piece of on-premise software, you come out, you do several days of training, and right. then that is basically your business. Maybe you do retraining over time, but it really is this professional service. And a lot of these companies now are either completely cloud-based, completely SaaS, or 
maybe they're hybrid. A lot of people in the room still had some on-premise solutions and some software as a service solutions. So we're all thinking now about what is the role of customer education and how do we structure that? So the first conference session, this was the keynote, uh, and I actually thought it was super interesting, was by Peter Broderick. And he is the vice president of global customer enablement at Kronos. Ah, great. Yeah. And, and so his, his presentation was called, Is SaaS the Death of the Education PNL as We Know It Today? That's a bold. Title, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So what were his takeaways of that? Well, a few things. He actually started with a really interesting rundown of how the board thinks about customer education and what the pressures are from, from different areas of the business. So he talked about the fact that, you know, if you're a public company, you're responding to stock market pressure. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why people are moving to SaaS in the first place is that SaaS companies just have really strong uh, multiples in their valuation compared to other, other companies. Right. He also talked about the business model pressure. So this is something that, that you and I talk about a lot too, is that in SaaS and software as a service, it's very different. You don't just pay money for your software upfront and then it either sits on the shelf or it gets used. Mm-hmm. SaaS companies are under pressure to break even on their investment, right? They spend all this money acquiring the customer, but they need to make sure that customer stays with them longer, uh, long enough to actually be profitable. Right. Um, and then the other one that he talked about was the, the business model pressure. So as people switch to this customer success model, we need to figure out how we don't just deliver on-premise training, but really how we, how we fit into our customer segmentation. So you probably have a high-touch model where you have these very strategic CSMs managing very strategic accounts, very small portfolios. Then the low-touch model where customer success managers are still managing accounts, but they're doing it at scale. And finally, this, this idea of tech-touch, right, where uh, a customer uh, has their relationship with the company almost completely automated. I, I guess some of the first questions, or the, let, let me put it in this context. The first thought that comes to mind about this is experiences that I know we've felt. Uh, being, and let me go back in the past, and maybe this will help frame, this, frame stuff up. So I've been to a lot of very deep technical product training. Uh, one was for a laboratory information management system. One was for a management execution system. I used to work in a plant, and they the vendor would come in. I think Perkin Elmer was a big name that I recall. They would come in. We'd sit there for like a week and learn all this stuff, and then they'd go away, and then I'd forget about it. Now, when, by the time I had to use a product, I have to go to manuals that were on the shelf. Conversely, another training I went to, I remember traveling for three weeks of solid training, and I was exhausted. But that model is dead. It, it's largely dead. And now, just reflecting upon, let's use Gainsight, and, and maybe you talked about Optimizely a little bit too, what you did with Optiverse. But it feels like a completely different vibe where you have all of these people who are working around you in orbit and training and education is kind of everybody's job with a locus of an individual or a team that is trying to process and send out and process and send out and schedule and get people engaged. So the model feels more um, kind of on demand. What do you think? Yeah, and, and not just that, but it ties into overall customer health a lot more than it used to. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that 
uh, especially, you know, if you're an on-prem company and you're just delivering training sessions, all the pressure that was put on you as a customer education leader was to sell enough training that it brought in enough money to cover your costs or achieve a certain margin target. Right. And that's just not true anymore. Customer education leaders are, are increasingly across the board being asked to measure their impact on the rest of the company's KPIs. And that came through not just in Pete's presentation, but actually in several of the presentations throughout the, the couple of days, including the benchmarks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, overall, there's just a lot more both pressure and, and opportunity. I think everyone reflected that this was an opportunity as well um, to not just measure how much training are they delivering, but what impact does training have on customer adoption of the product, time to first value with the product, um, expansion, renewal, support tickets, all those other pieces of the business where customer education can play a role. Right. So, you know, you know, this reminds me, I'm, I'm, I recall the book that you and I were talking offline about. Uh, I'm reading Michael Allen's Guide to E-Learning. Oh, yeah, I know that yeah. book. A really good book. And one of the points that I just read about last night was exactly this kind of problem. You, you're mentioning KPIs. We here call them OKRs. Uh, no matter what you call it, this conversation about mapping or aligning to an you know, executive leadership, like what is the company trying to do? Where, what direction are we going? He was saying, and I've seen this before, that you need to map and align with what your, your direction is, which direction the ship is going. It's no longer like, oh, I'm just this education org and all I care about is meeting the bottom line so that I can keep my team. It's more like now I'm part of this matrix and my goals are, well, I need to help support an MPS score of X through education. And, and that takes a lot more of a bi-directional engagement with leadership. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think that the right way to think about this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. If, if you're ever worried that customer education is less relevant now because customer success exists. And, and I, I genuinely think this is the fear of a lot of customer education leaders um, as the business model started to change, you know, Pete's message, and, and I, I couldn't agree with this more, is that customer education is more relevant than ever. Uh, he brought up an interesting statistic that on average, training revenue or education revenue is only about 2% of the entire company revenue on average. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we are trying to optimize based on what's essentially a drop in the bucket, then we're probably leaving some value on the table in terms of what education actually does. Wow. 2%. And, yeah, 2%. And so there's a lot more opportunity, you know, if we're, if we're tracking our impact on the rest of the company. Another big theme in terms of moving from uh, on-premise to SaaS is that releases have gotten a lot shorter and a lot more frequent. And so the way that we produce content, and this came up in a few different sessions, needs to reflect that. We don't have these 12 to 18 month cycles anymore to mm -hmm. produce content and to perfect it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I laugh because it's painful. <laughs> it, it, is, it is painful for sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but, <laughs> but that's where, that's where the market's headed, right? We can't avoid that. So did, now did you were saying it was Peter? Peter. Yeah. Uh, now did Peter have any guidance or suggestions on how we as uh, customer education leaders should deal with that specific problem? 
He did. And, and actually, um, another person on his team, Deborah O'Connell, she spoke on the next day about how they actually transformed their, their content as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, so they were thinking a lot about moving from these silos in their organization where you had tech pubs and you had customer service and you had customer education and you had uh, the product team doing some in-product performance support and unsiloing those, working more cross-functionally. So they thought of it as building bridges around these user personas hmm. um, so that they could move from the idea of having a bunch of silos to having a single source of truth. Well, that's fabulous. Yeah. So, so now they're starting to connect their systems a little more uh, and figure out what gets published where. Uh, Deborah shared something that I thought was really uh, interesting, especially for companies who use uh, the same system to manage both internal and external mm -hmm. uh, documentation and training was they actually had a lot of their content, co content coded as um, internal, internal and partner or internal partner and customer. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so they're using something like MindTouch or some other um, software that allow you to compartmentalize that and share it dynamically? I don't remember exactly what software they were using for that, but I love the idea uh, of coding content like that. So you could very quickly discern what was for which audience and you could start to create some rules around that. So yeah, that, I thought, yeah, I thought that was a really good strategy. That resonates with me because at Azuqua we're, we're working on some kind of a, a rather nerdy uh, platform for, for delivery of content. Uh, it has, it's actually called Hugo. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it does. It's like a static site generator, right? It is, but it's, it's all hooked into GitHub and it's very dynamic. But what it allows you to do is tag particular content. So I can say this is internal only, or I can say this is partner only, or say this is for customers or all of them. And then depending on where it is, we, we basically push the customer content live one way, we push other stuff internal. So it's all safe and compartmentalized, but it's all one source of truth. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense having having that source of truth. And you know, an, another big part of the conversation was about embedding content more where the customer is actually trying to use it. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing, you know, really long release notes like we used to do, starting to make uh, those experiences a little more shor uh, shorter, more bite-sized, and more embedded in the customer experience itself so that you're not spending a ton of time producing really long release notes that no one's going to read. Yeah, and those release notes are super important. You know, one of the things that, that I did, Adam, um, I, I hit this problem squarely with updating content. And there's a certain amount of the content that, I mean, if you go every quarter or, you know, every six weeks and you're trying to make inline updates, fine. But what we did for, for doc, or I'm sorry, what we did for training is we were recording on a regular basis and a regular cadence material. And every time we would record, we would make the changes and then we would basically put those, break those videos up and put them online. And it really saved time because one, you had virtual instructor led at the same time as we were producing e-learning type of content. Not of course the same, not, not polished, um, but it allowed people that gap coverage as well. Yeah, and I, I actually, I really like what you're saying about repurposing content into some of those different formats too, um, because that's, that's how a lot of people are starting to think about their portfolios, right? There's, mm -hmm. this, there's this move into having different formats at different levels of scalability that also have different price points. So there are some people who have some completely free content that's just aligned to customer success. Uh, it's just there to drive adoption. Mm -hmm. There's some who do more like freemium content, like 
having e-learning or, or standard paths that are, that are free. Um, and then you have premium content and that might be the more in-depth live on-site training. Uh, it might be one where you get uh, continuing education credits for it. It might yeah. be actual certifications, the, the ones that really drive deeper value. That's what starts to get included in, in the, the more premium or more pricey in some cases uh, packages. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So what else do you got? What, what else um, were they talking about? I see you had quite a few things like, uh, you know, where, where now is your return on investment shifting? So you're changing from one model to the another and, and you know, more SaaS based adoption based model. So what, what kind of metrics did they talk about there? Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like we're still as an industry trying to figure out how we calculate our own ROI. <laughs> it is harder now, right? It's harder mm -hmm in a world where you don't just have these bookings targets and as long as you're selling a certain number of training to a certain number of customers and you, you know, you get enough butts and seats then you, you bring enough money to justify your own existence. Right. That was actually like, that wasn't easy, but that was simple. Um, yeah. this, this is a lot more, it, it potentially has a lot more impact to the company, but it's harder to measure. So people are thinking more about, do we try to calculate based on, uh, Ticket deflection, that was, that was something that I spoke about, was trying to calculate some ROI on ticket deflection, trying to measure the attribution of your customer education to things like churn or product adoption. If you can align and show that you are, are really helping make customers more successful, then I think that there, there does become a little less pressure for everything you do to really generate margin. It, it becomes a little bit more about... Um, Certainly you can do cost recovery. Um, certainly you should sell things that uh, have value to customers that, that they will buy separately um, or that it makes sense, but not necessarily to calculate ROI just based on, you know, that the number of, of live training sold. Cause that's just not, it's not where the, the market is going and it's not what uh, customer success teams care about. Right. And that's a huge topic. That one we could sit and talk about for ages. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't we already do one on that? Well, we, we, did. One. We, we did, but we probably should circle back and really focus on like the details and give a matrix of these are the top things you should measure and here's a refined template for it. But, yeah, but, and I can, I can share some of that too. I, that was part of my presentation and I, I talked about some things that we had measured at, at Optimizely and now how we're starting to think about that at Checker because Checker's a lot earlier in our journey. Cool. All right. Well, let's keep moving through these. What else? Um, I see the next point you were, you were saying there was a lot of talk about systems. So what's kind of a recap on the, the chatter about uh, systems like, you know, CRMs and ERPs? Yeah. So, you know, if you're a customer education team, typically what you've been doing in the past is, is you've had an LMS and maybe you've had some sort of content management system mm -hmm. and, and you've had a few other uh, tools and technologies in there. But what people are starting to realize now is that, uh, you know, the importance of getting your data into other systems of record is more important than it ever has been. So um, this was threaded through several of the, the presentations, but there was also one session specifically devoted to the idea of how do you start to pair your LMS with your CRM system and your ERP system. Um, because those are, the, in, in a lot of cases, the source of truth mm -hmm. at your organization. 
Yeah, that's really, that, that's really a good one. And this one could be a, a subject of conversation like system integration. Um, you know, at Zuko, we're always thinking about that. But, you know, pre-Azuqua, every role I've had, I've had to worry about, you know, for example, at Gainsight, how do I take information from my, from my LMS and get that into Gainsight in front of my customer success managers? Or go to my financial system, my ERP, and be able to say, look, I've, I can demonstrate revenue recognition because I've trained these individuals, but it came through my LMS and I don't have to think about it. So I don't have somebody from accounting or finance calling me about it. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's something that's on a lot of people's minds too, that frankly, they, they wouldn't have had to think about even just a, a few years ago when, you know, the <laughs> LMS could kind of live in its own world. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that was day one. Day one was really focused around the changing business model, uh, around the emergence of customer success and how we structure our metrics and our systems to accommodate that. Day two was a lot more about content. Um, how we develop curriculum, uh, you know, I, I talked about uh, Deborah O'Connell's presentation, as well as really thinking about certification. So maybe, mm -hmm. maybe we can spend just a few moments talking about the role of certification and badging too. Cool. I'm really interested in learning what was talked about there because this is, I'm going through that whole cycle again at Azuqua. So tell me more. Can't wait. So, so Dave, have you heard of open badges? I have indeed. Tell me a little bit about uh, what, what you know about them. Um, I know a very minuscule amount of information based off what I've read. Um, I think the, the resource that I had looked at was that this is a, a Mozilla-based project, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I, I, the, the bullet points that stick in my head and resonate with me are that this is an open, extensible platform that is not beholden to any one particular product line. And it allows me to say, Adam, you know, I bless you as an automation engineer for Azuqua. And because you've completed all of this training and some hands-on performance-based stuff, but this goes with you. You could socialize it on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever you want. So it's something that you carry with you like you do your degree or diploma from a university or so. Is that, is that accurate? You nailed it. Um, that's, <laughs> better, better than I could have put it. So yeah, when, when you think about open badges, you're, you're really starting to think about the idea of how do we create a currency around credentials, especially if credentials are going to be digital now. Mm -hmm. So if we don't care as much about, oh, you got this degree from this university, but more, oh, you have this set of skills, how do we as uh, software companies especially start to certify and credential our customers uh, and, and this can go from things that are as light as, hey, you know, I took this course, I have this little bit of knowledge, to maybe I have this skill, um, to all the way to I am certified by this company to deliver on the company's behalf. And, and those all mean different things. So we need to start to find a bit of a, a common language in how we structure our credentialing programs. That's cool. Yeah, so that, that was a, it was a pretty cool discussion. And this was um, Kevin Streeter from Forge Rock. Uh, I, I always really like the way that he talks about these things because he actually, um, he, you know, he spent some time in the academic world as well. So he's kind of able to bring some of the, the theory as well as the practice in. That's, that's fabulous. So, um, 
let's talk a little bit more about like what, what kind of things are they suggesting? So is open badging the Mozilla based project? Was that like one of the top ones or did they talk, did people talk about a, a general suite of different tooling that you could use for this? And, and, and I'm particularly interested in hearing what, you know, the, the consensus is or, or the leanings are because I want to replicate this on my platform. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the gold standards right now, um, and I believe it is built on top of open badges is IBM's program. Mm. Uh, so IBM, this actually, th there was a previous Sedma keynote, uh, a different year where, um, uh, I can't remember his name now. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, one of the leaders, uh, of IBM's badging program came and spoke about how they, they had implemented open badging. Um, but basically the way that, that they do it is, they have different levels of uh, proficiency and of badges, starting from, you know, hey, I have this bit of knowledge, I have these skills, all the way up to uh, IBM certification. And I think you can have different levels mm -hmm. of certification with them. And each of those signifies something different. Um, but because they're doing this at um, a really large scale, I mean, they've, they've had hundreds of thousands of badges and, um, you know, they're, they're posting this all over uh, LinkedIn and other social media, people are really starting to understand the, the currency of an IBM badge. And so uh, Kevin was talking about how they were starting to uh, implement their own version of that at Forge Rock and, and really thinking about how do you set different levels of badge? You know, is it, is it just about having, um, you know, passed a quick multiple choice test or is it really about having shown that you have a skill in something? That's yeah. something that we have to start thinking about. That's, that's fantastic. And you know, one of the things that I think about in badging and certification that, and let me just share openly about this. Personally, I hate tests. I hate exams. I hate all that stuff. You know, I've gone through it for years. I know how to build them. I know how to take them. But what I find abhorrent about like a conventional, let's say old school circa 1990s, uh, your certification exam where you're proctored and all that stuff is it feels intrusive and violating somehow. And one thing that what I like, and now we're, with the SAS world, one of the big problems you have is time. And you know this as well as I do, you're trying to get a customer engaged and, and onboarded and get them excited. And I think that last one is the most important thing, but I only have a certain bite size amount of times throughout the day. So if I could look at a badging, like I love, let, let me transition this and bridge it real quick. I love video games. I'm, you know, I'm an adult. I still play games. But one of the things that gives me pure joy is, uh, and, I'll, and I'll share this, I play Diablo, Diablo 3, and I've started to play Seasons because there's these little quests that you do. And these are non-trivial quests where you have to do certain things and make things happen. It's a, there's a lot to remember. But there's just something cool when you able to, you're able to hit all the things in sequence and complete the tasks that, that you were asked to do. And it means something. And now I've got this basically a badge. It might be in game. I want that for my product. I want to have that same excitement. And I want people to say, hey, I did this thing and I spent this time and I learned this and I built this and I made this and now I'm, va I'm validated. That's a known quantity. Because someone could go out on my, on my Blizzard you know, whatever account and see that doesn't mean anything. It's just a game. It means something when I can do, when I can share that knowledge about a product. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that it, it is, it's a little different from gaming, right? Mm -hmm. I, I hear people make that analogy a lot between gaming and between, you know, professional certifications and badges. And frankly, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I Tell understand. Me why. 
Well, I, I understand that there's a lot in common between the two, but I think that there's, there's a key difference. You, you play a game because a game is fun, right? The, sure. the way that a game's uh, interface works and uh, the way that game's missions and objectives are, are structured, you play it because it's fun, and if it's not fun, you can put it down. With, uh, <laughs> with software, it's not always true, right? No. Um, sometimes using software is completely optional, but in a lot of cases, as a practitioner, you're using it because that's the, the thing that you have to use, either because your company uses it or because it's, it's an industry standard skill to have. So mm -hmm. I think um, with, with badging for software companies, one issue that we really have to get right is making sure that the badges are actually meaningful. And it's something that they're either going to want to share on LinkedIn because it's a a point of pride for them mm -hmm. or because it's uh, like an operating license to use a piece of software. Exactly. Or maybe because it'll help them get a job somewhere else using that software. So what's an example of level one meaning, you know, significance and value of the first tier of knowledge about a, a SaaS product? Sorry, could you, can you repeat the question? <laughs> Sorry, I stumped you on that. No, I said, what's an, what would be an example? I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I just say that there's, there's commonalities yeah. between games and the kinds of certification and badging that we're trying to strive for now. It's that there should be a little fun in it, but it's not all about fun. You're absolutely right because I could learn Azuqua and at the end of the day, it's hard in a way that yeah, a game might not be hard. But what yeah. is that example of that like, from maybe what you heard at Sedma, the kind of things that they say, okay, this is the first kind of badge that you would have that you could earn. And here is the meaning of it. Got it. Okay. Now, now I understand the question. Cool. So the, the first level, um, and, and IBM certainly does it this way is, is knowledge. So really as you're taking a learning path or as you're taking a course, you start with these little bits of, of knowledge that you earn. And you know, the, the way that I think about that one is that might add a little bit of fun or a little bit of whimsy as you're going through some of these uh, learning paths or courses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at that point, it's probably not motivating you to do anything that you wouldn't have done already. Right. That said, it does, I guess, plant a, a foundation that as you start moving into skills or, um, you know, IBM's next level is proficiencies. Uh, and then moving into professional certifications, that there is actually um, a progression, right? And at, at a certain point, they start to become more rigorous and more meaningful. Absolutely. So for example, it might be, here's one we're working on. I have like an onboarding um, level. So when you complete that, hey, you uh, effectively, I'm at the last stage of it where I want to implement that badge to say, hey, I've done the level 100 Azuqua certification. And it shows I know proficiency, I can basically move around the system and I get it. Um, but then you have something like a partner education. And what I want out of a partner program is they've completed online assets, they've had an, a workshop, they've been able to present to me a solution and walk through it compellingly. And they've done some performance-based testing. So it's completely different from just a, I, I looked at these videos and I answered some questions. It's a more, you know, it means, some, it means quite a lot because when I train a partner who's going to use my product on my behalf with another individual or many individuals, absolutely need to be high quality and understand the product at a level that's validated. So that's yeah. significant. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I think when you, when you think about it that way, 
it's that level of commitment in a certification program or in a credentialing program that really matters. So, you know, you, you, you say it's like a game. I say it's like dating. Oh, wow. That's bold. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll have to come back to certification and our different analogies for it, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, you're dating my app. Um, let me show you my, my, my shotgun here. You better treat yeah, it. Like, right. <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I in like with you or, or am I in love with you? Oh, my level of certification will reflect. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll do another episode on that. Oh man. Now, now you're going to be thinking about speed dating apps in the RFP process. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. Enough of that. Um, so what about, I see you have some other notes that you've sent here. Uh, concept of, of community powered certification. Uh, yeah. So about this, that. Was, this was a really interesting presentation by uh, Peter Maniak. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, Richard Huey Bacayas, uh, who are at Magento, uh, which is now part of Adobe. Great. And they were talking about a really interesting way to tie together the idea of their Magento community and their, their training and certification programs. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the time when we create our certifications and our courses, we, we work with subject matter experts internally, um, but we're plucking a lot of this from the ether, so to speak. Right. So they were talking about the idea of actually involving their Magento community in helping them generate some of the content and best practices because, hey, you know what, their users sometimes know how to use the product in different ways than people at the company. Uh, they also were you know, helping them get involved with creating videos or maybe contributing certification questions or even uh, peer grading each other during some of the courses. So I, I thought there were some really interesting ideas there. Yeah, that's really neat. And I mean, the, it still seems like it'd be quite a lot of work, but it's nice to know people who have some kind of subject matter expertise outside of your, the blinders you have on within a company. That could be really powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think people, people sometimes miss this point when, when you talk about doing things that are scalable. Scale isn't easier necessarily. It, it just reaches more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do like that, though, in that they're, they're probably increasing their reach of their program. And, you know, while, while I won't share any specific metrics, because I think that's all confidential from the conference, I, I do think that they were probably able both to increase the reach of their programs and they were able to get the people who were involved in creating the content really to become more like MVPs or, or you know, power users who really had a nice affinity for their company. I thought that was cool. Right. I really love that concept of engaging the, the, the people who are actively using and loving your product, hopefully loving it, um, in that day-to-day -day operation, because they're going to think about, uh, let me, let me tell you a story. We went to a hackathon at, um, TableauCon 2018, uh, last week. And I was just blown away by the expertise of some of the individuals that were coming in and, and using not only Tableau, but they started to use our product as well with Tableau. And they showed all these fabulous solutions. And it just blew my mind. And they're like, wow, these are use cases and ideas and ways to go about doing things that adds to the diversity of my training that I would never come up with. I love seeing things like that, where that just give you a fresh burst of inspiration. Yeah, someone's doing something really interesting that that you aren't doing, and and maybe that's a good way for us to to start wrapping this up. You know, you and I before before we turned on the uh, the recording, we're talking a little bit about the idea of 
you know, how we're always learning. And right. no matter, you know, whether you, you think you've built a program in a certain way, there's always someone who's built it in a different and interesting way as well. Yeah. And I think to be retrospective about this, um, you go up and down as an education leader and there are times when you get into something and you're starting to learn things. You're like, wow, I, I hit this wall last week. And this is what we were talking about before where I'm like, wow, I've got so much to learn because there's now we're using Twitch to do uh, live streaming of training and, and other stuff. And it's, it's a whole other product. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot to learn too. And then now you have to cater to a different audience and do kinds of things. So if you're not always learning, you're probably not, uh, how should I say, you're a customer education leader, you should be always learning. You should be like a shark, always, always swimming. <laughs> <laughs> always eating, swimming, eating, attacking small boats and people. No. <laughs> That's what I always say, <laughs> but, but I agree. And you know, the, I think the Sedma conference was really interesting from, from that perspective that, you know, there, there are a lot of folks there who have a ton of experience in customer education and they're doing it at really large companies. Um, and so, you know, you learn a lot from what companies are doing at a different level of scale than, you know, for those of us who are at startups or, or, you know, mid-sized companies. And then on the other hand, I think, you know, those of us who are kind of on this other side of the on-prem cloud divide, a lot of our companies were born in the cloud. So, you know, we have something to share as well about how we make ourselves relevant in this age of customer success and SaaS. So it, it is really nice to see the, the trading of ideas. Yeah, that's fantastic. So Adam, if I wanted to go to Sedma conference, to a Sedma conference or get involved, uh, how can I learn more? I think you should probably start by going to sedma.org, C-E-D-M-A.org. And note, let me just put that in there to make sure that is actually their URL. I think it is. Yes, so it's sedma.org, the premier organization for training leaders. So you can actually join them. Um, they have a membership. It gives you access to some of their uh, decks and benchmarks and what they call their gold mine. Uh, mm -hmm. as well as some of their special interest groups. Um, but the, the conference, uh, I think they're going to be doing annually now. And so that's a great time to, I think, jump in and also learn from other customer education leaders. Very cool. Anything else to, to share, Adam? Um, Boston has some pretty good beers. <laughs> oh, it's on my, my beer bucket list. <laughs> we're, you know, we're spoiled sometimes here, here in, uh, you know, you're in the Pacific Northwest. I'm in, I'm in Northern California. We got really good local beers. Um, but you know, don't, don't count the Northeast out. <laughs> is, uh, is Pliny the Younger out yet? Or is that in February, March? I don't follow Pliny. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want any beer I have to stand in line for. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, remember if you want to learn more, uh, we have a podcast website, and this is at simply customer.education. Yes, that's right. There's no .com, no .edu. It's customer.education. There you can find our show notes and other material, um, blog entries and templates and things you could use to advance your customer education success. And please, if you found value in this podcast, share with your friends, your peers, over beers, and your network to help us find the others. On Twitter, I am at Dave Darrington. 
I'm at Avramescu. And to our audience, thank you for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. Hey, Adam here. If you're enjoying our show or finding value from it, I'd like to ask you for a quick favor. Not here to ask for your dollars, but it would really help out if you subscribed in your podcatcher of choice and went to iTunes or Spotify and left us a positive review. Leaving us a review is the most powerful thing you can do to help expose this show to new listeners. The algorithms really love it. Maybe you don't think of yourself as someone who reviews or subscribes to podcasts. Well, if that's you, please take a few minutes to go in and rate all the shows you listen to at once. You'll help an angel get its wings. Thanks in advance from your pals at C-Lab.